This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Hot Stove Report. Going, going, goodbye baseball. On 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com and the 710 Seattle app. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our very first edition of Hot Stove, coming to you live from the Mariners team store in Bellevue Square before a cheering cast of thousands. Everybody doing their holiday shopping. There we go. Welcome, everybody. I'm Rick Riz, along with Mike Blowers and Shannon Dreyer and uh, Gary Hill Jr., along with the Mariner Moose and our special guest uh, for the hey, first Moose. hour coming up is going to be uh, Mariners GM Jerry DePoto. We're going to be talking with Jerry a lot about uh, what has happened over the last uh, few days down in sunny. Hi, Moose, giving everybody a high five here at the Mariners team store. Doing a lot of business right now, getting ready for the 2020 season. We're going to talk with Jerry about the last few days just back from sunny San Diego, California for the uh, uh, winter meetings. That's always a lot of fun where the free agents finally find out where they're going to go. Now you're going to be talking about trades and things like that. But Jerry was as busy as anybody last year getting ready, you know, to move this organization forward. It was kind of quiet over the last uh, few days. So we'll talk about what happened with Jerry and the ball club over the last few days down at the winter meetings in San Diego. So we have a lot to talk about. But right now, this reminder, this holiday season, stop by the Mariners team store for the largest selection of exclusive Mariners apparel and game use memorabilia with five convenient locations, including T-Mobile Park, downtown Seattle at 4th and Stewart, Bellevue Square right here, Alderwood Mall, and Westfield Center. You're sure to find something for everyone on your list. So again, welcome to Shannon and to Mike and to Gary. Shannon, uh, tell me a little bit about uh, you getting ready for the holidays right now. Yes, Every and it's a good thing we're shopping. here because I'm looking around and I'm seeing some things that will be in stockings and under the tree here at the Mariners team store. Yeah, a lot of my friends are going to get some great Mariners stuff. Mike, what, what's the offseason been like uh, for you, buddy? It's been busy, to tell you the truth. Time has flown by. Um, as you know, my wife, Nicole, she's had some issues that she's had to deal with, so we've had to work our way through that. She's doing great, by the way. Good. Everything's going really, really good. And so in between things that she's been going through, we've made a lot of trips to Arizona to see the sunshine, so we've been back and forth. And fortunately for me, my kids are old enough now to where she handles all of that. So Shannon may be doing some shopping. I am definitely not. <laughs> I'm out. Well, we're here. We're in the right spot. And, Gary, uh, I know things are starting to heat up right now because this is our first edition of Hot Stove, and we're going to be talking baseball for a long time between now and uh, hopefully into October. Yeah, and the show's gone really well so far, I think. This is very <laughs> exciting. <laughs> Congratulations on your beard, by the way. Yeah, folks, uh, Gary's sporting some winter fur. Yeah, I thought, you know, I'd have an off-season project, and I think it's gone really well. You yeah. know, it's, uh, it's coming in nicely. We've got to pick a color, though. Blow has already said he... <laughs> <laughs> Blow, a neighbor like... cat that is about the same colors as the beard. Blow, Blow has already said he does not want to see it for the regular season, so... His vote's in. Yeah. I kind of like it. I think it looks it looks uh, very, it's fitting very in the winter. Yeah. Exactly. Northwest. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I tell you what, uh, <laughs> we're going to be talking some baseball right now, but we're going to take a break. We're going to be back with uh, Mariners general manager. He's ready to go, Jerry Depoto. We'll be back with Jerry as the hot stove gets underway live from the Mariners team store here in Bellevue Square right after these messages. Say, friends, give the gift of Mariners baseball this holiday season. Single-game tickets are on sale now, which means you can purchase seats to some of the biggest games of 2020, including opening day, series against the Yankees, Phillies, and World Series champion Washington Nationals, plus more fireworks shows than ever before. Stop by Mariners.com today. And again, welcome to Hot Stove. We are broadcasting live from the Mariners team store here at Bellevue Square in Bellevue. Rick Riz along with Shannon Dreher, Mike Blowers, Gary Hill, and our special guest, Fresh back from beautiful San Diego, California, in the winter meetings, Mariners General Manager Jerry Depoto. Jerry, welcome to our first hot stove. I'm thrilled to be here. It's it's good to be in somewhere where they're doing more business than we were doing in San Diego. So we, we were quiet, apparently, uh, more so than the industry around us. I hope the team shop is doing better during the holidays. It well, looks like they are. That's what I was going to ask you. you. You kind of expected a quiet uh, winter meetings the year before. You were busy, a lot of trades. Uh, is that what... What you pretty much expected when you went down there, and how many calls did you get from other clubs? Uh, you know, you always get some calls from other clubs inquiring on players, and and we'll answer. We always do, and you know, we knew going in that we were going to be fairly quiet. We weren't particularly quiet in the week or ten days no. leading up to the meetings, yeah. and just before Thanksgiving, we got a lot of our business done, and. You know, we knew what we wanted 2020 to be about, which was was ramping up to give so many of our young players opportunity to play. And and it's really tough if you go out and acquire veteran players to give the young players a right. chance. And, and it's really tough to project what you might look like in 21 and 22 if you don't give the experience to those young players. Jerry, one of the things that you said after one of the, the days down there was you were receiving a lot of inquiries on the veteran players and not as many on the young players, which was a reverse for you. And you said, hey, apparently they got the message here. Um, this is a somewhat loaded question. You're probably knowing who I'm kind of <laughs> asking about, but what do you look at when it comes to a veteran player and your approach on that? You know, I, I mean, we always answer. And we, we were approached on Kyle Seeger, on Mitch Hanniger. Uh, and we've been hit all winter long on all three of our catchers, despite the fact that, I, that with, with the exception of Omar, who now has three years of service, none of the other guys were really veterans. They're, they're one-year players or zero-plus players. But we were hit on all of them. And, uh, you know, I, I think we've been hit a fair bit on Marco. I, I, I think that's a representative of the fact they're good players. I also think it's representative of the fact that it's clear to the league around us that we're building for the long term. And, you know, if, if we can collect enough good young players and pull them up, we feel like it, this will turn around. But we really do want to maintain, you know, a, a, a core group of veteran players. And it's a small core but that, that can help usher this young group through. And, and, and Marco's a great example. He's, uh, is, he's a good player. He's been a, a really quality starter for us these last two years, done a phenomenal job on the mound, and, and he represents so much. Uh, two guys like Justice Sheffield and Justin Dunn and Logan Gilbert, even Yusei Kikuchi, despite the fact that he's coming over as a veteran professional player himself. So it's, it's important for us to keep those players around. And, you know, Kyle Seeger, Mitch Hanniger, they've been great examples of what we're looking for out of our player, whether it's just showing up to do your work every day or really thinking the game in, in a modern way. So I, 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 we do value those players, but we're always going to answer the phone. And then we have to weigh in our calculus uh, what the, the value of what these players can do for us now or what they can do for us in the future by providing, uh, I, I guess, 
young players that a year, two years, three years from now can really crest. And it's a sensitive balance that we're trying to achieve. You've talked about that and, and last year going through it, and you're going to continue this year going down that path. I guess my question would be, and you guys aren't there yet, but when you look at free agents and the signings that have been going on, which everybody has been talking about, which for me I think is great just because baseball's out there in front of everybody, but do you anticipate the free agents, because last year it was so slow and hard for those guys to find a job, that that'll continue through the winter, or will it slow back down again? Uh, well, we're almost out now. They've, <laughs> they've about tapped out. The, the, the last week or 10 days, but even just the last month, has been a flurry, very yeah. different than anything we've seen even in the last four or five years. And we were talking at the, the winter meetings about the last time we saw winter meetings with even a, a, a big signing at any point. It's probably been six or eight years since the winter meetings, I, I guess, developed in such a way that, that every day was exciting, big signings. And uh, this year was like that. You didn't know what was coming next. I think there was, I mean, one day uh, Scott Boris players achieved yeah. something in the neighborhood <laughs> of about $750 million worth of contracts, which is phenomenal. And, and each one of them got what we generally thought they were going to get so it was uh, or, or more which is indicative of a of a healthy game with with great players available on the market as you just mentioned you came from the winter meetings what are the mechanics like for you there is it are like all the gms thrown into one room like a middle school dance and kind of stand around and look at each <laughs> other or i mean how does it work with with everyone down there at one time uh, it, well, there are thousands of people, uh -huh. you know, from all around the baseball world that, that come together. Ryan Roland Smith, our very own, was yeah, down there yeah. this year. Uh, for a bit, looked like a fish out of water, but then started. <laughs> 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 um, I mean, thousands of people. This year, there were a fair number of players because there are many players that, that make their home in the San Diego area and just decided to pop over and see what it was like. But uh, representatives from minor league baseball around the globe, from international baseball, Asian leagues, from every major league club. Each club sends somewhere in the neighborhood, I'd say, of about 30 or 35 different people uh, that represent anything from, you know, procurement staff to, to trainers and doctors to the baseball operations groups. And effectively, the, the three days are set up. You go through, you know, industry meetings of some sort. I'm on a couple of different MLB committees so you'll have to make time two, three hours for those. Uh, I sat on a couple of panels, and, and we went through, a, for instance, a panel on, on diversity in baseball, and, and uh, that was really fun, talking about uh, different ways that we can transition diverse candidates, former players, into the front office and, and start developing former players as long-term baseball people, which is right up my alley. That's, that's kind of what I do. And, and at the end of the day, it's, it's 72 hours where typically you don't sleep a lot. And in between all the little meetings and, and one-offs, you're meeting with agents, you're holding staff meetings with your group, talking about what's uh, developing in the market, and then you're meeting with agents. And sometimes on through until the small hours of the morning. And, and it's great. And, and we do make time for the media, at least for, for a half hour or so every day. Well, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate that. But, you know, is, I, I didn't realize that that many people from the organization go down to these things and that there are that many people there. So for somebody like yourself that has so much on your plate anyway, do you have a small group of guys that are out there listening to other groups of guys before they ever get to you on potential deals or things that are going on? Does it work something like that, or is that not part of it? So when I first started going to the general to the to the winter meetings as a scout, uh, and this is dating back, actually, my first winter meetings would have been as a front office, what I would have called the most 
the, the, the highest paid intern in the history of front <laughs> office <laughs> <laughs> work. I, I, I retired in spring training, and effectively I got paid my player salary to work in the front office. <laughs> and uh, that was my transition in. And it, it was it, it was really cool because what you did as, as the young guy or the, the inexperienced guy is just work the lobby. You found out in a game of telephone what the other teams were looking to do, who might be interested in your players. You're touching base with anything from writers to scouts with other teams to front office personnel that are down there. And over time, that's really dried up. And, and I think it's in the, in the tech age that we're in with social media, with so many different third-party reporters, that, that the information that we're getting publicly is pretty close to spot on. We don't need you know, we, we don't need to go down and, and practice espionage in the lobby. <laughs> All we have to do is pull up our smartphone and say, yeah. "What's what's on trade rumors today?" Jerry, years ago, I went to the winter meetings. I think it was 1976 in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And, and back in in those days, it was all about trades. Free agency was just in its infancy stage. So it was a a trade for a major league player for a major league player, and a lot of things are different right now. Bill Vec put up a little card table in the lobby and said, I'm open for business, and started wheeling and dealing. Now it's a lot different, as you just pointed out. And very quickly, how does a deal get made? Oh, my gosh. Well, there are so many different ways. First, I'll share that on that story, that Bill Vec story, yeah. um, one of my former teammates, workmate, uh, the great Roland Heeman, Hall of Famer, yeah. worked with and for Bill Vec at that time, and he told me the story of that event. He said, he said Bill was sick of sitting around in the room. The, the, he wanted something to happen and move the needle for the White Sox, so he pulled up a coffee table and he went and got a hard line telephone with, with the extended cord <laughs> and pulled it across the lobby and put it on the the table with a sign that said "Open for oh, Business." Open for business, <laughs> yes. And, uh, and it made some trades. <laughs> they did. Uh, you know, I think that how a trade is made, it's you make the original or initial contact uh, sometime right around the end of the season oftentimes before, but typically right around the end of the season, we make our first off-season run where we will divide the league up. And when I say we, me, Justin Hollander, our assistant general manager, occasionally Tom Allison, our VP of scouting, uh, we will call through the league the different teams and just touch base. What are you trying to do? Do you see a match with us? Yeah. And you know, somebody might look to be uh, looking for right-hand outfield help. And now uh, we, we have some surplus there. And you just start talking about matches. and. And, uh, you know, a team like us right now, our, our message to other teams is that we're really focused on building a young core here. We're, we're building around this young group. We'll talk about our veteran players if you see matches there. And, and, and it, it, gets, it gets the spark. And, and sometimes one or two phone calls later, you've got something going. Sometimes it is months in the making. And, and uh, you know, in, in essence, it's where the, the Garrett Cole, the, the white whale references come from. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times that there's at least a dozen players in the league that I've made no less than 100 phone calls trying to, trying to acquire them through the years. Yeah. And you, there's just certain guys you like the fit, you like the player, and, and you become a pest. And, and my general thought is if, if you just keep on, <laughs> you keep on knocking on the door, sooner or later they might give it to you just okay, so you don't, okay. you'll stop knocking. Yeah. You mentioned that with the deals that you saw, they came in around where you thought they would see them. What was kind of the talk behind the scenes about the whys there was so much activity this year? Yeah, first, I think it was an extraordinarily good free agent class. And, and uh, you know, especially in the era of contract extensions with young players and, and tying guys up into their 30s, it's really hard to, to get to the point where there's a, a free agent class like this 
where you've got Garrett Cole and Steven Strasburg and Anthony Rendon, and, and I could go on and on, Madison Bumgarner. There's, there's stars all over. And it was, it was pretty clear that this was going to be a more unique market. And I, I've heard the last couple of years as it's been slow, uh, teams are saving their money for you know, the 2019 mm. class. I don't really buy that. Teams spend their money on what they need in the moment they need it. But this was this class of players was going to get paid, and it is clear they are getting paid because they're great players. And in most cases, especially in the cases of a Rendon or a Cole, they're relatively young guys for for you know for players who've accomplished what they've accomplished. So you know we expected a big market. It's it's even bigger than we expected, but that's usually what happens when you trap thousands of baseball people in a hotel for three days with, <laughs> with checkbooks and pens. You know, it's, uh, you, you want these players and, and the, the conversations that go back and forth, we're all super competitive people. And when it goes from five years to six years, you find it tolerable. When it goes from six to seven, you start biting your fingernails. And I've been there and, yeah. and you, but you're constantly pushing the envelope to get your white whale. And, and if you get them, you feel like you just conquered the world. And, and, and then you have to go back and look at your roster and say, oh my gosh, what did we do? Because we have to fill in all these other holes and we just took, <laughs> yeah. we took three weeks trying to take care of this and spend 80% of our budget oh. on one thing. Well, Scott Boris knocking on your door. Looking down the road, do you think this free agent crop, is this an exception? Just in terms of how many, the players you mentioned, is this going to be an exception, you think, when you look down the road to free agency in, in years to come? I think it will. There's, there's every year there are always, you know, one or two marquee players on a free agent market. This year you could argue there were six or eight yeah. that, that really yeah. stood out. And there's still a couple out there, guys like Josh Donaldson and Dallas Keuchel, really good players, great players. Uh, that has been atypical lately. And, uh, in more, and I, more and more it is about those players and, and many of them signing contract extensions in their mid-20s when they have somewhere between one and three years of major league service that take them through the first couple of years of free agency. And, and I think that has generally uh, had an effect on how quickly the market's going because now it's two players and two players with 30 teams chasing mm -hmm. them effectively are, you know, it's, it, it, they can sit and wait for the <laughs> deal to come to them. Yeah. When it's six or eight and, and there are 30 teams fighting over them and, and the money moves faster, as I generally think that's what happened. And uh, I would not ex expect that this is going to be the norm, but uh, but when there are players of this ilk on the market, I, I think it'll fly just the way it did now. Visiting with Mariners GM Jerry Depoto here on our first edition of Hot Stove, live from the Mariners team store here at Bellevue Square. We'll be back with Jerry as Hot Stove continues after these messages. Back to more of the Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. A little cool outside, uh, maybe a little bit rainy, but we are nice and warm inside here at Bellevue Square at the Mariners Team Store for our first edition of Hot Stove. Rick Riz along with Shannon Dreher, Mike Blowers, Gary Hill, and our special guest, Mariners GM Jerry DePoto. And, Jerry, it's time to give something away. That's what we do here because it's the holiday season. We're going to ask a trivia question to our uh, listening radio audience, and if they get the answer right, they're going to receive... How about this? A Mariner's pajama set. Cozy up with your family this year in matching pajamas available for the entire family. The value is $55. So the question is, because Jerry is here, what year did Jerry DePoto make his Major League debut and with what team? What year? What team? Did this gentleman right here make his Major League debut? Jerry DePoto. If you know the answer, call 866 
877-979-3776. That's 866-979-3776. Call right now. Jerry knows. So don't say anything. <laughs> this one so I'm certain of. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry knows the answer to this. Visited with Mariners GM Jerry DePoto. And, Jerry, uh, uh, it wasn't that long ago where you, you traded a lot of veterans to really bolster up this organization. I think you did the right thing at the right time, getting young players like Jared Kelnick and many, many others. I think 23 young players in the system this year from A ball to double A, low A to high A, double A, triple A made the all-star team. We saw a lot of young players here. Baseball, as you know, as well as anybody, is very cyclical. And it seems like it wasn't that long ago the Houston Astros were losing 100 games three consecutive seasons. The Chicago White Sox did this. And now you're seeing the White Sox and teams like the Cincinnati Reds as well go after free agents and make trades. They re-signed Jose Abreu. Uh, they uh, signed uh, Yasmani Grandel and others. Cincinnati signing Mike Moustakis. How encouraging is that to see other clubs do this, go through that. The Chicago Cubs did it as well. They eventually won a World Series. Houston winning the World Series. To see now those teams, after going through what you know you did for this organization, to do what they're doing right now. I think that it, that's our plan. And, and, and we've talked about it. We wanted to do it at a faster rate. And part of how we did that was we targeted players who were further along in their careers as we acquired them. But the the teams you just named, and you could throw the Nationals in Nationals there as well. Too, right. You know, I mean, three years in a row where they had the top pick in the draft, and mm -hmm. and, and just culminated with uh, it, it had to be five different postseason appearances and then a World Series. So, um, but that's the way we see this playing out, and, and would we would prefer to move at a quicker rate of, of, of development. We think that started when the young players, starting with J.P. Crawford last May, but J.P. Crawford, Shed Long, you know, Justice Sheffield and Justin Dunn, what I think is a great debut by Kyle Lewis in yeah. September. What we will see next year when we start seeing the next wave of players show, show up, guys like Evan White, and then we think Logan Gilbert and potentially Jared Kelnick a host of talented young relievers. It's, it's a really nice young club. And we went in one year's time from the, the, what, what was widely regarded as the 30th farm system among the 30. And you know, partly because we traded the players to stay in some kind of competitive window, and partly because we didn't have a lot of players in the system. And, and we went from 30 to now, I think, generally regarded among the top 10. Yeah. And, you know, I think that we believe that by the time the, the rankings come out in, in January, early February, that we will have made up even more ground with some of what happened with our draft and international classes last year. So we're excited about where we are. We do see ourselves on that path. We just hope we're a little further down that path than when many of these teams started their rebuilds. You've got a lot of young players that are going to play for you next year. I, I thought very interesting some of the coaching moves you made, bringing up your own coaches that have got experience with these guys and you've got experience with them what are the things that you need to do to handle a big group of young players like that communicate yeah, communicate well it's connecting with players and in, in a on a wavelength that works for them and you know I, I, the the coaches that we brought through our system carson vitale who will be our new major league field coordinator pete woodworth who will be our new pitching coach they are, first of all, we know them. Uh, they've gone through, in Pete's case, a four-year interview uh, in the Mariners organization. And in, in Carson's case, worked with me in my last stop and has also worked here with us for the last almost three years here with the Mariners. 
wonderful baseball people. They're young, they're energetic, they're thoughtful. They, they have already developed relationships with our young players. There's a trust and an ease in which they communicate. And you know, at the end of the day, coaching is still about relationships. It's about taking the information, taking the data, taking the experiences you have, pulling it into a ball, and then going and, uh, and approaching it through the lens of mentor, of friend, of, uh, of support staff. That's not just, here you go, here's the, the, the information, run with it. It's not that simple. And you know, that's coaching in any time, but that is particularly true of players today. And you, you don't have a lot of time to connect with a player. And, and when I say you don't have a lot of time, I mean in each individual conversation. You know, it goes quick. It goes in whatever, you know, I'm not entirely sure off the top of my head how many characters are involved in, in a tweet, but it, it, that's about how much time you have to get a, to get a point across. And, and then you only have that player here in your system for six or six plus years. And, and, and the, the ability to craft relationships at the earliest stage Make sure that by the time they get to the prime years of their career, they're fully built out. They trust what you're telling them. The information you provide isn't questioned. It's, it's believed because they trust you. That's coaching to me. You know, one of the things that we started today talking about the free agents and the signings, and there's been some monsters out there so far this winter, and there'll probably be some more as we move along. But I, I think that one of the things that interests me as you talk about the young players is getting these guys wrapped up, and we'll talk about Evan White, um, I can remember, Jerry, when I was breaking into the big leagues, and I, I'll never forget it, but the Cleveland Indians went out and Jim Tomey, and they signed him to a three- or four-year deal at the time, and he, he barely had a cup of coffee. And at the time he was playing third, he moves over to first, but I thought, I, I don't understand this at all. And it turned out to be obviously a great thing, and Cleveland was a very good ball club for a long time. And it seems that as you're looking at all these big free agents, other clubs are trying to jump on board, and you certainly have with Evan and some of these other young players. Is that something we can anticipate happening more over the next year or two? That is our goal. Okay. And uh, it's funny you bring it up. This might be a cheater for the, the trivia question you <laughs> asked. <laughs> but uh, Listen, you know, folks. That's where I came <laughs> up. You know, I, I came up with, with the Indians in that generation. Jim Tomey was my teammate for six years through the minor leagues onto the big leagues. And, and Cleveland started doing that. And, you know, Dan O'Dowd, the assistant general manager, he was my farm director. Uh, when I first started there, he became the, the assistant GM of the Indians and then ultimately was my general manager, uh, both as a player and as a, as a staffer with the Rockies. And John Hart, who had a wonderful run as yeah. a general manager with the Indians, then the Rangers, and more recently as the president of the Braves, it, they began that process of engaging with the young players on the roster and did it uh, across the board, did it with Jim Tomey, did it with Carlos Baerga, did it with Sandy Alomar, did it with some guys that didn't quite click, guys like Scott Scudder and Dennis Cook and Jack Armstrong. And, and you know, lo and behold, it, it, it really worked to stabilize a roster in a city that at that time, much like the Mariners were 30 years ago, uh, there was not a lot stability with the Cleveland Indians during the old Cleveland Municipal Stadium days they were equally as big a threat to fly to, to Florida and, and become the Tampa Bay Indians so that was a, a, a seminal moment in the history of that franchise and and I was there I saw it and we talked about it a lot internally there's in any extension you do it, it, even with a 26 or 28 year old prime year player there is inherent risk when you sign that player to an extension for, for both the player and the club. The player may be short-selling what he's going to be worth in four or five years. 
the club may be overextending on a player who doesn't quite reach that potential or suffers some type of injury. We are going to the next extreme, which is to, to lock up our players at a very early stage in their career because we believe in the humans. We want to build stability in Seattle, especially after a four-year stretch or you know, the last three, four years where we have had so many transactions, so much movement around a stable core of, of older players. We want to shift the, the paradigm and make it about these young players which we hope appeals to our fans. We know it will create a, a camaraderie in the clubhouse. And there's every one of those players, because I know I did this when Jim Tomey got his deal, and I know the other 10 players that were like us did the same. Man, you think they'll give me one of those deals? I'm in on that. <laughs> and, I, I, I'm the same way. <laughs> we, were, that's it. we were all in, and, and, and I think this generation of player will feel the same way. The numbers are much bigger, but yeah. you know the, the players that we, that we hope to do this with are very talented, and we believe a long part of our future. Does that change? Maybe not, not Evan, but just young players in general, when you make that commitment, does that change their timeline? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, there's a, and, and I think largely because now they have time to go through success and failure. I, I'm generally one to believe it, it takes time to, to get over the bridge and, and, and become a good big leaguer for some guys. It's, and these are all very talented players, but most of them, the, the, the super talented guys, and Evan is among them, and I yeah. could name 10 or 12 others that we have that are on the brink right now that I think are in that class. If you throw them into the deep end of the pool, they figure out how to swim. You know, it may take the, the hitters 150, 350, or even 500 plate appearances, but they figure it out. You, they, it might take the starting pitchers 75, 100, 150 innings, but they figure it out. Very rare does it take three years, four years for them to figure it out. The guys that are taking that long usually don't figure it out. Right. So our, our general hope here is to, to accelerate the, the timeline for these guys, get them all into the big leagues in, in 2020, give them their experiences, because our hope is that 2021 and beyond, we're a competitive contending type team. And it certainly yeah. takes a bit of pressure off of them also. Having now their they business know they can fail a little yeah, bit yeah, without yeah. feeling like they're going back to the minor leagues tomorrow or that they don't know how they're going to yeah. pay the bills. And I think you did it with the right kid. I went down to Arizona in October and had a chance to visit with uh, Evan White in the clubhouse. Uh, you did it with the right kid. Visiting with uh, Mariners General Manager Jerry DePoto. We're going to be back with Jerry as Hot Stove continues live from the Mariners Team Store in Bellevue Square after this timeout. All things Mariners, all off-season. The Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. And again, welcome back to the Mariners Team Store here in Bellevue. It's the Hot Stove. Rick Riz along with Shannon Dreher, Mike Blowers, Gary Hill, along with our special guest, Mariners General Manager Jerry DePoto. And we have a winner in the, uh, the uh, trivia contest uh, tonight. Uh, the question was... Uh, when did Jerry DePoto make his major league debut and with what team? Jerry, why don't you go ahead and give the folks the answer. The 1993 Cleveland Indians. Are you uh, sure? As a, I, <laughs> I'm certain. Uh, as a teammate of uh, Jim Tomey, just as, as Blow said. When did you come up and who was the first batter you faced? I uh, came up on, on my major league debut was May 11th. And uh, I, the first batter I faced was Mike McFarlane. Oh. And, and my, my indoctrination into the big leagues was they brought me in in the eighth inning with a two-to-one lead for a team that was terrible. We were bad. <laughs> um, with a two-to-one lead in the eighth inning with Mike McFarlane up and two outs. And, uh, and I went 0-2 immediately throwing two breaking balls, which was really not how I would have ever expected my first big league outing to go. 
And, uh, and then I, I threw him a fastball in. I didn't get it in far enough. Uh, you got a hit. I blew my first big league save on my first hitter and got it out of the way. It wasn't the last. <laughs> but I'll never forget. Hey, you made your major league debut. That's the answer. And the winner was uh, Charles Oliver. Uh, Charles Oliver from Puyallup is the winner tonight in our trivia question. And Charles wins the uh, Mariners pajama set. So, again, cozy up with your entire family this year in matching pajamas. Jerry already, he, as a matter of fact, he's wearing them tonight here at the mall. Available. As it works out, I do have the pajamas. <laughs> with do you the really? Feet, the whole nine yards. My, my, camp, my family Tammy? bought them for me, my son, and my son-in-law uh, on Christmas two years ago. Awesome. I, I will say that they are, I felt like a bit of a dork wearing them with the feet in oh, them. But nice and now warm. I find them crazy comfortable, and I wear them around the house all the time. <laughs> there you go, Charles. That's what, what you have to look forward to. Charles Oliver from Puyallup is our winner. It's uh, available for the entire family, value $55. So congratulations, our first uh, trivia winner on Mariner's Hot Stove. Uh, visiting with Mariner's GM, Jerry DePoto. And Jerry, you were busy before uh, the winter meetings got underway. Tell us a little bit. I'm going to throw out some names right here uh, uh, to help out uh, in the 2020 season. You pick up a free agent. First of all, right-handed pitcher Kendall Graveman. Tell me a little bit about Kendall. Last year, he was with the Cubs organization, appearing in just one ball game, but it wasn't that long ago with Oakland. He had a pretty good year with 31 starts. You know, you know, Kendall from 2015 to 2017 was probably about as league average as you could get as a major league starter. Steady Eddie, ground ball pitcher, not going to be big gaudy strikeout totals. Throws in the low mid-90s with heavy sink, good breaking ball, makeup is off the charts, pretty good athlete. And like so many, he wound up going through Tommy John surgery at the tail end of the 2018 season, missed all or well, most of the 2019 season, came back at the very end uh, to pitch a handful of outings between rehab and, and the Cubs. And we, what I think we did was we bought a real major league starting pitcher as he's bouncing back from injury. And he's just 29 years old this year has all of those same elements. We're going to have to be patient as he yeah. starts to get back into uh, his the command of the baseball and maintaining or working into inning load. But we're confident that he can do that. And so far, can't say enough about the, the quality of the person. Are those the kind of guys you're looking at uh, from now until the start of spring training and the start of the, the season? Veteran guys looking for a bounce back year? a down year from last year or coming back from an injury, a chance to help out and give this ball club some innings and starts. Exactly. And, uh, you know, what we're, we view ourselves as, as the land of opportunity right now. We, we do have a, a handful of young players that we want to provide opportunity. We also want to tap into guys like Kendall Graveman. I know one of the guys we could mention is, is C.J. Edwards. Uh, these are guys that, you know, Kendall Graveman has two years of club control left. He's 29 years old. C.J. Edwards is, is still has two, three years of club control left, and, and he's 28 years old. Uh, and it throws up to 98, 99 miles an hour with plus-plus spin on a breaking ball. He didn't have a good 2019, and, and generally speaking, that's how we got him. And we right now have to be open to the idea that if we invest, it's almost like a venture capital exercise. Yeah. If we invest in three, four, five of these guys, and our medical team, our training team, our pitching team, all does the right thing, and, and we put these guys in a position to succeed. If we hit on even one of them, that becomes part of what we do moving beyond 2020. It was a home run for the Mariners. Jerry, looking even a further ahead, uh, I think when the big signings were coming down at the winter meetings, if you've been following along, you know that, well, that's not your program 
this year. It's other teams' time to do that. At some point, it will be more your time to make the bigger moves. Is that still tough to sit there and see those things happen, or what are you thinking when that's going on in relation to your club? You know, this year for us, it was fun. Like it was, I think, for the general baseball fan. As you're watching and and you you see the next move come up, the next signing come up, or the next rumor uh, on the baseball network, whatever you're watching your news, and and we're sitting there watching in the suite, and and your your mouth drops open like, oh, this is unbelievable. That, That to us was fun. You know, we have, for the time that I've been here, you know, Part of the reason why we have made so many trades, and, and certainly we lead all of baseball in, in the number of trades that we have made since 2016, but I think there are only three teams in the league that have spent less money than us in free agency, which is the other side of the scale. So we have, we have opted to build our team through draft and trade rather than going out on the free agent market, largely because we had a really high-priced core of older players that we were trying to build around. We do envision now that we've changed the paradigm and it is now built around a group of young players as they start to develop. When we move into 2021 and beyond, we're doing it with a very flexible and open payroll. That, uh, And we said it as, as we were sitting jokingly talking to agents in, in San Diego, we don't need to talk to you about so-and-so. We're here to talk to you about such-and-such. Mm. So-and-so will be next year for us, I promise. We'll be sitting in this room talking about those types of players. And, and we do believe that that starts for us perhaps as early as the second half of this year with the trade deadline in, in forward-thinking ways, but maybe more so off-season 2020 headed into 21. said that a couple of times. you got your eye on somebody at the deadline. No, you, just, you have to take advantage of opportunity <laughs> if it comes. <laughs> I, think, I think the one thing for, for me, just thinking about it and, and us being here right now, thinking back a year ago, Jerry, one of the things that you have been when you've – been on the air with us, whether it's TV or radio, is really honest, and you told us exactly what was going to happen last winter, um, and you followed right through with that. And I think that for the fans that are out there, they all get it and they know it, but once you start to go through it, it can be really difficult, which it was at times last year, and you've even said that. So fast forward now to where we're at. What do we expect this year? What do you want to see from this club? Because you're going to have so many young players that be a big part of this team. What do you want to see on the field this year? What kind of improvements do you want to see from them as they move forward? You know, first, we want to see individual success stories. We want to see young players get better, get better at doing the small things, get better at the nuances of the game. Uh, we would like to see guys get comfortable at the, at, in this league. And you're going to go through, the, it, it's almost like a tennis match. You know, you, you serve, you, you volley, and eventually the, your, your opponent figures you out and they're going to make adjustments to your game and you have to go figure out a new way, you know, to, to I guess, return the volley in a different way than, than it was coming before. But you know, we want to see the players learn how to start making those adjustments. I, we, are, we are not anticipating being a 90-100 win team. And, you know, we're looking at last year as last year was unfortunate. We thought we would be better than we were. And whether it's due to talent issues, due to injury struggles, we did come in short of what we thought we were going to be able to do in 2019. But 2020 was always going to be about where we are today. We knew when we acquired guys like Jay Bruce and Edwin Encarnacion and, and the like that they were, they were going to touch down on our roster for a year or so, and then we were going to move toward this young group. And that's the moment we're in now. Young teams can be very unpredictable. Uh, this is a young, talented, and energetic team. 
Uh, we don't think that we're going to be able to compete day to day with teams like Houston and Oakland and, and certainly with what the Angels have been able to do with their offense. But we do believe that we're starting to make up ground on what we envision as a long-term success. And we talked about it off air not too long ago. You give good young players a chance and some runway to run with, and yep. you will be surprised how quickly they catch on. And, and we really do believe that if we allow them that experience this year, that we are going to be paid back in spades 2021 and beyond. I think one of those kids last year was uh, Kyle Lewis at the end of the season. My goodness, home runs in his first three games. Uh, six home runs in his first 10. So my question is, yes, last year was, was a kind of a long season. You kind of expected that. But you saw some good things, too. Marco Gonzalez, I thought, had a heck of a year. 16 wins, one of the most in the American League with 200 innings pitched. And as I mentioned, Kyle Lewis, Austin Nola pretty much came off the scrap heap and, and gave you strength behind home plate but ended up being the starting first baseman. For you, looking at this ball club, last year and what you saw toward the end of the year with a lot of young players getting an opportunity what were some of your highlights from last season jerry my highlights it starts with our catchers you know i think our catchers did a phenomenal job all year long and you know obviously we've we've moved uh, omar this off season and in what we thought was a longer term uh, decision for us but tom murphy the job that yeah. he did after picking him up with a very early season trade just as the season was getting underway uh, all you mentioned, Austin Nola. They, they stabilized our catching. I think there was only one team in the American League that, that produced more war for the catcher position than we did. And, and we did it across the board. Uh, you know, we did, it with, we did it with power. We did it with batting average. We got on base. You know, they were all super encouraging. And we're really excited to move forward with, with Murph and with Nola and with the developing Cal Raleigh, who we think yeah. is going to come pretty quickly. Uh, I was really happy with that. I was very happy with the stability to see Marco go out. I think he had a very good 2018 season, and he went and doubled down on it, had another really solid season, really solidified that he is a part of what we were doing, not just in the short term, but we think in the long term. He wants to be a Mariner. He loves to, to be in a leadership position, and, and hopefully we are putting him in a position to do that as we move ahead. That was exciting. Uh, I, I thought it was a blast each time one of these kids came up. JP, Shed Long, Kyle Lewis. Every time one of the, the new guys walked out on the field, you, you felt like this is, this is cool. Yeah, and, and you felt I, excited for you them. You did. And, and, and I, was, I was talking in the office today with a couple of our, of our office people, and, and John Stanton walked into the office, and we were looking at a whiteboard with a couple of ideas because – that's generally what we do start. with our day. You know, yeah, it's a yeah. goodwill hunting in there. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I, I said, that this is fun. And, and I have to say, I've said this. Uh, I've said it aloud. I know some of you have heard me say it before. I, I've, I've been working on this side of baseball now for 20 years. And this is the most fun I've ever had doing my job. I love the, the idea of acquiring and developing young yeah. players, giving them opportunity. And it is painful to go through the up and downs, the, the losses that you don't expect. Many of the losses that you do expect, and in the end, it is so rewarding to watch them improve and to, to have a, a hopeful vision of what comes next, I think, yeah. is the most important thing. You mentioned Lewis, um, Shed Long, um, even Jake Fraley, who was up, unfortunately, ended up getting hurt. But one thing that I look at this club is as you move forward and you evaluate these guys and they continue to learn is J.P. Crawford at shortstop. Um, he's the one out of all the young guys that's going to be a part of this that had the most time, if you will, at the big league level, and he had some ups and down last year and really showed a lot of potential. What's the next step for him? Uh, the next step for J.P. was just going home and getting stronger. 
You know, it's a JP is a very wiry, thin, athletic guy. Uh, when he came to the big leagues, you know, the, the arrival of JP Crawford in May and the return of Kyle Seeger toward the end of the month, early, late May, early June, that, that stabilized what was maybe the most difficult part of watching last year's Mariners was our defense in the first half. And, and, and then lo and behold, our defense in the second half was one of the better defensive clubs in the league. And credit to Perry Hill for the wonderful work that he does, but credit to the talented players and JP among them. Uh, we sent JP home with a very clear program on how we could help him get stronger. And he's put in the time. He lives down in Arizona. He's over at the facility in Peoria for recent check-ins. He was just here in Seattle last week for our leadership summit, and he looks terrific. He, he looks strong. He's got a good grip. He looks in tune with what we're doing. And that was the biggest thing for him because, you know, what we saw out of JP in May and June wasn't a mirage. You know, what we saw from him in August and September also wasn't a mirage. In a 162-game season, you have to be prepared and bodily strong enough to get through that long grind. What we saw early is what he's capable of. What we saw late is how he could get better. And, and that's one of the nuances of developing players is not to immediately get down on them. It's to identify where you can help and then help. And James Clifford and our strength team, Derek Cantini, that we've, we've drawn up programs for, for JP. And JP has been pretty aggressive in taking advantage of it and on his own because he knows this is important. With so many young players uh, that we saw last year and a lot on the way, you mentioned a few names like Cal Raleigh and so many others, uh, you know, coming up through the organization, Logan Gilbert and and uh, many others. You, you're looking at a couple of veterans to kind of lead the way right here. Mitch Hanniger, I, I love what this kid did a couple of years ago, was an all-star for you, the best player in this club, unfortunately got hurt last year and missed most of the season. Talking with Mitch, how excited is he to really take this group under his wing, along with a Kyle Seager and now a Marco Gonzalez, to help these kids move forward in the organization and the, at the big league level. You know, I think if, if you spend time around Mitch, Mitch's gift is his focus. Yeah. He is the, perhaps among the most focused players I've ever come across. And he leads in, in many non-vocal ways. He's, he leads by how he works. He leads by his, his thought process. He, he leads by his commitment to what he's doing. And, and he's fully confident in what that is. And if our, players can our young players can just watch and, and, and pull something from the way he goes about his business, he's the type of player who can lead really without saying much. Yeah. And, you know, it strikes me as that guy yeah, exactly. you know, yeah. in, in his time. Uh, and, you know, there are there are nuances to, to Mitch that are, other players won't be able to, to do some of the things or maintain some of the focus that he maintains. But if they can pick up 50 percent of it, we're better off for it. Visiting with Mariners General Manager Jerry DePoto. Jerry, we want to thank you for spending the first hour on our first hot stove uh, show of the 2019 season as we get ready for 2020. Welcome back again from sunny San Diego at the winter meetings and I uh, look forward to spring training and the warmth of Peoria, Arizona. I can't wait, buddy. It's going to be exciting I, I, spring. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm really for, ready for the baseball season get down to Peoria. Jerry, thanks for coming by. All right, Rick. Thanks, guys. Mariners General Manager Jerry DePoto visiting with us here on Hot Stove. Rick Riz, Shannon Dreyer, Mike Blowers, and Gary Hill. Stay tuned for the second hour coming your way. We're going to visit with the new uh, pitching coach, Pete Woodforth, uh, with the Mariners in the second hour. So stay tuned. Hot Stove continues live from Bellevue Square in the Mariners team store. Stay with us. This is 
the Hot Stove Report. Going, going, goodbye baseball. On 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle app. And we're getting ready for the second hour of Hot Stove Live from the Mariners team store here in Bellevue. Uh, welcome, everybody. Rick Riz along with Shannon Dreher, Mike Blowers, and Gary Hill. Before we have a chance to visit with new Mariners pitching coach Pete Woodworth, who was at uh, AA last year, then the Mariners called him up at the end of the season, a chance to work at the big league level. Uh, we're going to give away uh, a very special gift uh, for the folks that were here today. They filled out... Uh, you know, uh, a few pieces of paper here with their name and phone number and email address to get, to win a prize. And this is a very special prize. Our lucky winner is going to get an autographed Edgar Martinez cap, a cap signed by the Hall of Famer Edgar Martinez, went into the Cooperstown, New York, the Hall of Fame last July 31st. So we picked out our lucky winner, and she is Elise Hughes. Elise Hughes. So, Elise, uh, you have won the uh, autographed Edgar Martinez cap. So... Uh, congratulations on that. Rick Briz along with Shannon Dreher, Mike Blowers, and Gary Hill. And during this uh, second hour, we're going to visit with Pete, the new Mariners pitching coach, Pete Woodworth. But also later on in the hour, Shannon, you did uh, have a chance to sit down and talk with one of the top young prospects, not only in the Mariners organization, but in baseball, Logan Gilbert. We had a chance to visit with Logan a few weeks ago when uh, that leadership conference was here. Mm-hmm. Big, bright-hander, very talented. What did you find out about this young man before we listen to your interview. Well, it was a lot of fun to talk with him. We uh, set up a Skype interview. We do videos over at 710 on MyNorthwest.com. Uh, boy, howdy, you've met him, I think, before. Sure. And I sit and talk baseball once every two weeks. And we thought, you know, we've got that nice little studio downstairs. We've got all the technology. And rather than get these guys on the phone, let's get them on Skype. And so Logan was nice enough to set up the Skype. And so we had a nice conversation. He was in Florida. We were in Seattle and talked to him for about 20 minutes and got a little bit into just kind of who he was, what he's been up to. Uh, there's a movie that very much inspired what he does out on the mound, which was very interesting. He'll get into that awesome. a little bit. But, um, yeah, it's just a great opportunity to sit down and, these, you know, we're going to see Logan Gilbert next year. Yeah. yeah, I think that's almost been made you know, pretty crystal clear to us in the way that he's moved through the organization so quick, the opportunity to sit down and get familiar with a guy who's going to be up with this club for a yeah. long, long time. A lot of fun. Yeah, he pitched at three different levels last year. He started off at uh, low A and then uh, in West Virginia, I think it was 1-0 and with a 1.5 ERA, then went to Modesto where he was – uh, four and two, and had a 1.79 ERA. Then he ended up at Double A Arkansas, five and three there, I believe, with a 2.88 ERA, more strikeouts than innings pitched. So, folks, that's a name you you're going to be hearing about uh, in the very near future, Logan Gilbert, along with so many other young players coming through the organization. Rick Bray, Shannon Dreyer, Mike Blowers, and Gary Hill. The second hour of Hot Stove continues live from the Mariners team store here in Bellevue. Right after this timeout, we'll visit with new pitching coach Pete Woodworth. Right after this timeout. Well, the hot stove continues to heat up. We're getting ready for the second hour for live from the Mariners team store here in Bellevue Square. Rick Riz, Shannon Dreher, Mike Blowers, and Gary Hill. Right now, we're going to see how quick you are on the phone. All you have to do is call in, and you're going to win right now. A customized replica jersey values $170. The winner of this prize will get a replica jersey of their choice for free customization. Wear what the players wear by picking up any Mariners jersey and get it customized with your own name and number. And be the third caller. Call in right now at 866-979-3776. Dial right now. The third caller will get the customized jersey. That's 866 979 Three seven 
888-957-1276. So welcome back to the Hot Stove. We have a chance to visit with New Mariners pitching coach Pete Woodworth. Pete, thanks for joining us tonight. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Tell us where you are right now, where's home, and a little bit about Pete Woodworth. Home is in St. Petersburg, Florida. Um, born and raised, but I am in Nashville, Tennessee, with uh, I think there's 12, maybe 14 uh, Mariners. We're here at Pitchapalooza, a um, pitching convention um, here in Nashville for, for the weekend. Tell us a little bit about pitching. Palooza. <laughs> we got to hear more yeah, about we, that. You got to fill us in on pitching Palooza. <laughs> what happens there at pitching Palooza? Um, it started, I want to say, five or six years ago. Um, it's it's grown every year. It's uh, it's just a bunch of pitching coaches from all over the country. They come together. Um, there's there's presentations. There's uh, there's demonstrations. There's a ton of, of networking and, and collaboration. Um, now there's there's more from these strength coaches and movement acts aspects. Um, so there's a there's a ton of knowledge, um, and it's it's a good chance for for us as coaches to to learn more about our craft, but to to spend time together and, and bounce ideas off each other. And you never know who you're going to run into, but fortunately for us, like I said, there's. There's everybody from Carson Vitale, Jared Sandberg, uh, Max Weiner. We basically have our entire minor league pitching coach staff is here. There's uh, a handful of scouts, um, anybody from all aspects of the, the org, you name it. Pete, is there a gift store there? Could you, like, bring back T-shirts for us or something <laughs> like that? <laughs> um, there's there's a ton of uh, ton of products, and hopefully they give us a, a little swag swag bag I could bring back for you guys. Hey, if you get everybody in pitching in one place, I mean, what what is the dream conversation for you? Who would you like to pick their brain on pitching the most? Uh, like, of all time? Yeah. I've always said that uh, if I could spend one day, one round of golf with Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, and John Smoltz, that would be uh, that would be a dream come true. Um, but shoot, the, the the group of guys that we have right here right now um, is is a pretty special group. Okay, we, Rick kind of started getting into it a little bit. You're, you're from St. Petersburg. You've been with the organization for a few years. Did great work at AA this year. How did you come into coaching? Um, in 2010, I was, uh, I was at Florida Gulf Coast University, um, and the, the last pick of the draft was picked, and uh, my name was not selected that draft, and so... The next day, I packed up my car and I drove to Wisconsin to coach in the uh, Northwoods League Collegiate Summer League for Andy McKay, um, and I, I was starting my coaching career. I kind of turned the page on my playing career, and and uh, I always knew that was that was Plan B. Um, and as soon as I got there, after driving for 40 hours, the Tampa Bay Rays called me. Uh, to to come sign a contract and pitch for them that summer. Uh, so unfortunately, I had to tell Andy McKay that I could not coach for him. Um, I'm 
I'm pretty sure Scott Service's son was on that yeah. team. Um, and he ended up hiring Ethan Katz to to be his pitching coach when I uh, when I couldn't do that. But uh, after my playing career ended, I, I got into scouting with the Tampa Bay Rays and a uh, school in Fort Lauderdale, Florida called Nova Southeastern uh, brought me on. That was my first coaching job. Um, the Division II school in, in Fort Lauderdale, and it was it was great because it was a, a a group of of young young pitchers that were that were hungry for knowledge and and uh, there was kind of blank canvases in there and and so there was a lot of room for for growth on on my end but experimentation and just trying to to figure out who I was going to be as a coach um, and then I got the opportunity to go back to my alma mater and coach at Florida Gulf Coast. And in 2016, uh, Andy McKay called me again to uh, to see if I would come coach with the Mariners. And fortunately, this time it worked out. I'm curious because you brought it up, but when you mentioned Smoltz, Glavin, Maddox, um, fortunately or unfortunately, I had the opportunity to face all three of those guys. And when you think <laughs> about today's game and we, hear, we, we, we think about um, launch angle and spin rate and pitch at the top of the strike zone. Um, it seems that Smoltz certainly could fit in that category with his fastball and the slider that he had pitching at the top of the zone. But facing Glavin and Maddox, those guys were typically down, down, down. Mm-hmm. The game evolves all the time, and please tell me that you believe this because I certainly do, but all of those guys would be great pitchers even in today's era, but they might have to make some changes here and there. Um, but when you look at pitchers in general, and I guess the one that comes to mind for me is Marco, um, just because I think about him and then, you, you know, you mix in a Glavin or somebody, just the type of stuff that he has and he goes about his business. How do you differentiate when you're talking about starting pitching, the stuff that they have, um, the intel in which you guys are dealing with the information in today's game and, and find out what works best for those guys and decide whether or not they can pitch at this level? Ooh, good question. Um, Thank you. Well, Marco is very intelligent um, and, and similar to Glavin. He, if, if, if Tom pitched in today's game, he'd he'd find a way to to make it work. He'd find a way to to still be elite. Um, and I, I think Marco's the same way. He uh, he's he's going to use all of the resources and all of the tools, um, you know, combined with his competitive nature and you know his his the stuff that he already has um, to to find any advantage any way to to get an edge to to continue developing and to be elite um, i don't know if that answers the question for you yeah it does yeah pete uh i know you're a good coach because you were at double a arkansas last year and you had so many all-stars on that team pitchers and position players but the guy that i want to talk to you about is justice sheffield he starts off the year triple a tacoma struggles goes down to your ball club down in Arkansas and really gets things turned around he used that experience as a springboard to get back to the big leagues last year and I think this kid is going to make a big adjustment and play a big role in the success for this organization moving forward what in the world did you see when Sheffield came down to you at double a and what did you do with justice to get him to the big leagues at the end of the year um justice did that himself and I'll actually give a lot of a lot of the credit to to his teammates as well um when when justice showed up 
um, there was there was a tough go in Tacoma. Um, you know, I, I obviously I wasn't there. I couldn't see it day in and day out. But you you saw the box scores. You saw the the numbers. Um, him coming back to Arkansas was a was a way for him to to reset a little bit. Um, he 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 came into an environment and a a culture where the other four starting pitchers um, really and truly cared about each other and, and had a ton of fun coming to the ballpark every day. Uh, I, I know that sounds a little corny, but no, no, when when you're showing up and and every starting pitcher is going out there and, and throwing six and seven innings and, and doing their job and and enjoying it and having fun and the team is winning, uh, that's a lot different than than the opposite when you're when you're sitting in the stands and you're charting and every night you're looking out there and it's 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 different. Um, so he he came into a a really good environment and he was able to take a breath and and go back to to being justice, going back to doing what he has always done really well, um, and it it was a, a I don't want to say a fresh start because it was the middle of the season, but he was able to kind of put the first half of the season behind him and say, okay, this is where I am right now. This is who I am. Um, I'm enjoying competing. I'm enjoying developing. Um, and I know the path that I need to to stay on, the path I need to take that's going to get me to the big leagues, and this is that path. Well, you did a great job with that kid. Visiting with New Mariners pitching coach Pete Woodworth. We'll be back with Pete as the second hour of Hot Stove continues live from the Mariners team store here in Bellevue Square right after this timeout. We are live tonight from the Mariners team store here in Bellevue. Rick Riz along with Shannon Dreher, Mike Blowers, and Gary Hill Jr. We're going to give away another uh, nice gift right here. It's going to be a Mariners holiday sweater. Need the perfect outfit for your holiday gatherings? Just get our holiday sweater right here and spread some Mariners cheer. We have a winner. Uh, Shannon picked out the name. Allison Sherry. Allison Sherry is the winner of the Mariners holiday sweater. Allison, the Mariners, and uh, Cairo 710 ESPN will get in touch with you to get that beautiful Mariners holiday sweater. We're going to be, uh, we're visiting right now with Mariners new pitching coach, Pete Woodworth. Pete, uh, thanks for joining us tonight. Our first hot stove of the uh, 2019 season as we get ready for the 2020 season. I want to ask you, you know, you were at double last year, then you were called up at the end of the season as the Mariners do in previous years. A number of coaches get to come up. What was that experience like for you to come up and uh, spend some time here at the end of the season to see the, a lot of the young pitchers that you had down at Double A, and here they are in the big leagues along with yourself. Um, I, I I don't think it was as cool as as Art Warren and Justin Dunn and Kyle Lewis and Donnie Walton actually making their debuts, but it was it was awesome to to be able to to kind of come along with those guys and and get to experience those last couple of weeks. But to see. Um, to see those four guys make their debuts and and to see a handful of the other guys that had passed through Arkansas this year, um, you know, performing at at the big league level like they were doing, um, you know, it, it was icing on on the cake of a of a fantastic year that we had in Little Rock. 
You did have a great year, and it really kind of hit home for me. We would get clips, and we would see things that you were doing, but when we dropped by and saw you guys when you were taking on Texas's affiliate on your birthday, if I remember correctly, um, up on the board there, they had uh, leaderboard after leaderboard after leaderboard they were showing before the game, and it was your guys at the top and usually second of all of those things. Uh, strikeouts, wins, ERA, everything along those lines, be it starters, be it relievers. Uh, Aside from talent, what did you have there as a group that was able to accomplish what they did this year? Uh, That that group uh, was extremely special, and it was was unique what they could, what they created from the the very beginning. Um, The the culture and environment that they had – like I said, the, the starting pitchers had such a close-knit group. Um, they pulled for one another. They, you obviously spend a lot of time with one another in a, in a 140, 162-game season. Um, but these guys, were they, they truly cared about each other. Um, so there's, there's that internal competition with brotherly love, um, which it, if one guy went seven and struck out eight, like, all right, Ricardo Sanchez, it's your turn, and and he'll go eight and strike out nine. Like it, there was just always pushing each other in a in a fun way, um, and the the bullpen was was even more special. The the identity that they created, um, and we had a lot of guys come up and 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 leave, and the new pieces that came in just fit and meshed so well. That that uh, that group, that identity, um, just continued to flourish all year. Um, you know, the, we were fortunate to have the starters that we did, but they were extremely happy to hand the ball over in the sixth, seventh inning because uh, because of what was coming in those those later innings. Well, Pete, I'll tell you what, the organization is now happy to turn over the fortunes to you as the new pitching coach for this ball club. I know you're excited about getting down to spring training and working with the kids and the veterans on this uh, pitching staff, the starters, the reliever, to see how everything comes together. We want to thank you for coming by and joining us here on our first edition of Hot Stove. We appreciate it, Pete, and uh, we'll see you at spring training. We're going to be visiting with you quite a bit. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. You're welcome, Pete. And more from Hot Stove Live from Bellevue Square, the Mariners team store, right after this. We are back live here at the Mariners team store. Shannon Dreyer, Rick Riz, Mike Blowers, and Gary Hill with the Hot Stove Show. Hey, if you're looking for a little bit of extra baseball talk during the offseason, over on the MyNorthwest.com site with 710, uh, I, along with, boy, howdy, James Osborne, do a bi-weekly video vodcast that also has a podcast. We sit down, we talk baseball. And we started to add some different things into the mix. And today we had the opportunity to do something really fun. We set up a Skype interview with Logan Gilbert. Of course, uh, Logan, the Mariners' number one pick in the draft a year ago. They're expecting big things from him. I fully expect we are going to see him midsummer, but had the opportunity to have kind of a face to face interview with him earlier today. And here's a piece of that. Logan, great to see you. It's been a couple of months. We saw you up in Seattle at the end of the season. Uh, where do we find you right now? Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm actually back home in Apopka, Florida, uh, living at home. Tell us about Apopka. It's uh, in the Orlando area, from what I understand. Yeah, it's right outside Orlando. Um, It's pretty nice here. I mean, uh, not one of the biggest cities or anything like that, but, you know, just 
kind of like a small hometown feel to it, and uh, it's really nice. I like it here. What's the best thing when you get to go home? What's the first thing that you have to do when you get home? Yeah, I like golfing around here, like going to the beach. When I get back to Florida, that's always a, a bonus, nice thing to do. Hey, a great story. We all know, you know, the selected first by the Mariners in the draft a couple of years ago, and I can't imagine what that is like when you're in your college career and everything is gearing up and as far as everything that you're doing in college and your season and oh by the way there is a draft right now how, how what was that week like for you yeah that's crazy um it's kind of hectic a lot's going on but at the same time you just try to enjoy it because you know you're deep in a college season with all your best friends and also your the drafts coming up um you know everything I've worked for my whole life um in terms of baseball so it's pretty chaotic, a lot going on, but also really rewarding when all of that is happening at the same time. What would you say was the highlight of your college career? Um, I think there at the end, we made it. Uh, we actually won a regional and went to a super regional, uh, first time in Stetson history. So it was kind of nice to uh, one of the best seasons in such a long history of Stetson baseball. It is a long history and some notable arms there as well. Did they have influence on you? Uh, not too much. I, I haven't gotten to talk to him, but I remember, um, on my recruiting visit was the day DeGrom won the Cy Young, or rookie of the year. So it was a pretty big deal. A lot of buzz going on around there. And that's when, you know, I kind of thought this could be a great place for pitchers to come out of here. <laughs> How did you decide on Stetson? Um, it was pretty close here. I knew a couple people that went there and heard great things. Um, the academics were great, which was a big part of where I wanted to go. And then also the baseball, just a nice, uh, tradition and some of the arms that came out of there, of course, uh, made it pretty easy to choose there. What was your major? Uh, business analytics. Oh, yeah. and how does that apply? Does that help with the baseball? Uh, not too much, actually. Um, I decided on it because I watched the movie Moneyball, actually, and I got really interested in that side of it with all the analytics and baseball. So, you know, who knows? Maybe after when I'm done playing, I can get into that side of things. What kind of jumped out of you in that movie? Um, I think just uh, all the little things kind of behind the scenes that go into winning a ball game and everybody, you know, of course the talent's so important, but if you're not using it the right way, um, there's little stats that can really matter a long time in winning games. How do you use analytics on a daily basis? Um, there's, there's a lot that goes into it for pitching. Um, I kind of just got exposed to it this year and it was a big part of it, seeing some of the numbers where uh, we look at spin direction, uh, spin rate, uh, release height, release angle, all these different things that go into it. You know, I always thought you pretty much just grip it and throw the ball, but there's so much more that goes into it from releasing the ball and then its actual flight in the air, how it lands across on plate. Can you explain, because these are things that, they're terms that I think baseball fans are getting more familiar with now, and I think even if you watch the World Series, you started to see a little bit more of this uh, in some of the broadcast. Um, they can be tough concepts to grasp onto and we've actually done some videos talking about this I know you know Brian DeLunis he came in and he explained a lot of this too but as a pitcher uh, how do you use that how do you uh, take a look at it how do you adjust when you take a look at it what are the things that are most useful to you yeah so I mean just a couple things that stick out for me um, I think every pitcher is different but it really resonates with me the spin direction of the ball so thinking of a clock and where the numbers are certain pitches will either uh, stay in the air longer or maybe drop off depending on which uh, the spin direction is. So for a fastball, I want to be more towards 12 o'clock where uh, my changeup will be more towards like 2.30 on a clock so it can just fall throughout the air. 
So different ways like that, just depending on the way the ball's spinning, it makes it move certain ways. You have access to some of these things, I would imagine, in college, but how did they impact what you did this year? It was a huge part of it. I mean, from the developing all the way from, I think, to spring training to the end of the season, um, I think I see a huge jump in the way my pitches performed and the way they were coming out of my hand. Uh, everything was a little sharper and more consistent, where a big part of it was I knew every time I threw it, the pitch was pretty much going to do the same thing instead of kind of guessing where I would need to start it or something like that. I think you summed it up. It's like you think things just happen or you have it or you don't, but there are ways to keep it or right. to improve on it. Pretty pretty impressive right there. Who are some of the people in this organization who have most influenced what you're doing out on the Hill in the short time that you've been with the Mariners? Uh, gosh, there's a lot of people. I think from the player side of it, um, I have a good relation relationship with Cal Raleigh. He's really helped me behind the plate. And then also getting to Arkansas, working with Justin Dunn and Justice Sheffield. Those guys have had, I mean, just in the time I was there, had a huge impact on me and really helped me out, kind of took me under their wing and showed me how it's done, stuff like that. I got to visit that team when they were in uh, Texas. Mariners were, had a day off when we were there, and so we went over and double uh, A. I think you were pitching that day, so we didn't talk to you. But uh, to see how justice and justin kind of play off of each other a little bit it was yeah they like to take the ball from each other they mentioned you a little bit it it seems like a really good thing kind of going between a younger group of pitchers oh yeah for sure i showed up there they were i could tell right away they're really tight really close-knit group and then coming in as the new guy you see that and you kind of want to distance yourself a little bit not just jump into it but they're really welcoming wanting me to be a part of it all that stuff and never skipped a beat, just joined the group and went rolling from there. One of the things that you just mentioned a couple of minutes ago, you said Cal Raleigh has been somebody who's really helped you out. How has that relationship developed? Um, started last fall, I think, at the high-performance camp. That's when I met him. I actually played against him in college a little bit but didn't know him. And, I mean, right away we were just good friends, went back and forth, kind of messed with each other a little bit, but we know that, at the end of the day, we have each other's backs, and um, he's always been, you know, last season one to push me and uh, call me out whenever it needs to happen, stuff like that. Well, we're really trying to get the best out of each other. Why would he need to call you out? Um, part of it's just him messing with me, um, <laughs> stuff like that. But I think he sees if there's another gear or something like that that he really wants to get that out of me. So it's been great to have somebody like that yeah, right I next. Heard, I heard there was a lot of back and forth between, and they let you guys handle that. It wasn't a coach is going to tell you what to do. That you guys all worked out that relationship amongst yourselves. Oh yeah, I mean even be- before and after that, we were we we're best friends throughout it, really good friends. But um, I you know I don't want to make it sound like we were fighting all the time, but. There, there was just maybe one or two times throughout the season where still being good friends, we just called each other out and what needed to be said to help each other out. It was, it was all about trying to help the other person. And can it be, I mean, a catcher is going to feel a certain responsibility for a game and a pitcher is going to feel a certain responsibility for a game. And you've got to kind of come to a, an agreement on that, I would imagine. Yeah, that's a big part of it. I think biggest part for me was I saw how much he cared that a lot of catchers might just care what their average is or how they're playing or stuff like that. But he really wants to take the pitching staff and make it his. So that's really cool to see. That's fantastic to hear right there. Uh, you mentioned the analytical side, and that's something that you are interested in. What about I heard uh, that you have a creative bent as well? I heard you play the ukulele. 
Uh, <laughs> oh gosh, I don't know how you heard that one. Um, <laughs> I I tried to learn it. It didn't go too well. Um, I actually got it last Christmas and brought it to spring training, thinking I could master it, but uh, it didn't go too well. Is it around? Is it back there anywhere? Can we hear something? It's actually in my room, but no, <laughs> I don't think I can grab it right now. Will you bring it to spring training maybe again? I could try to bring it next time. We yeah, need a hopefully second I know chance. it's somewhere too by then. All right. We need a second chance of this. This we got to see. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> um, what, what is your favorite part of your baseball day? Oh, good question. Uh, favorite part? Um, I love the throwing and all that. I love just going out there every day and knowing that I can get better in some way. Uh, I think a really big part of it is just the relationships you build. We had such a close group and all really good pitchers, but good people as well. So I think just going out there with them and getting to work every day is really fun. What's your self-scout right now? If you uh, were a scout looking at yourself, what what would you write down? Um, man, I might be a little partial, a little biased That's towards okay. myself. But, <laughs> you know, I, I think I could be a future, uh, you know, big part of the rotation in, in the future and uh, eat up a ton of innings and hopefully be an all-star one day. That's always been a goal of mine. So um, just trying to do anything I can to make it happen. Who have you enjoyed to watch on the other side on your team? If there, is there a hitter that you would probably rather not face or somebody that you can really appreciate on the offensive side? Yeah, I think uh, Kellenick might be a tough at bat. Uh, you know, hopefully I won't ever have to face him, but I've seen him go against some really good pitchers and uh, just turn it around really impressed me. So that might be a guy I want to stay away from. What are you most looking forward to next year? Hopefully playing in Seattle. I think that'd be awesome. Um, just going to work with the same coaches I've had really good relationships with. Pitching to Callaghan is going to be really fun. So just stuff like that, getting back to work with that stuff. Well, Logan, we are looking forward to seeing you in spring training. Really appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. And that's an interview that we had, a video interview that we had, and the full interview is available at MyNorthwest.com on the sports page. Still plenty to come on the Hot Stove League show after this. Say, friends, sign up your little sluggers for the 2020 Mariners Kids Club. MVP memberships make a great holiday gift, and they're only $25 and include a Mariners backpack and cap, mini moose bobblehead, $1 ticket vouchers and exclusive MVP experiences. Plus, new this year, MVP members will receive 10% off select kids apparel at Mariners team stores. Registers today at mariners.com slash kids. We're going to see you on our next hot stove edition next year. It'll be January the 7th, a Tuesday night. So join us for our second edition of Hot Stove. We're broadcasting live tonight from uh, Bellevue Square's Mariners team store. Our thanks to Shannon Dreyer, Mike Blowers, and Gary Hill. But before we say goodbye, we've got a very special feature on one of the most uh, uh, talented guys I've ever met in my life. Uh, sadly, Ron Fairley passed away about a month ago. Uh, Ron was not only a great friend, a great broadcaster, and a great player. He was born in Georgia, but grew up in Southern California in Long Beach, went to USC, starred there in the College World Series. He came up with the Los Angeles Dodgers a year later. He played in four World Series with the Dodgers, winning three. He was a star in the 1965 World Series against the Minnesota Twins, facing the likes of a Mudcat Grant. Uh, he was an all-star with the Montreal Expos after he was traded away from the Dodgers to the Expos. He said, I felt like I was, you know, sent to Siberia. And uh, he was an all-star in 73 with Montreal. Later on in his career, he was an all-star for the expansion Toronto Blue Jays in 1977 at the age of 40. 
And then at the end of his playing career, Gene Autry, the owner of the uh, Angels, uh, talked Ron into becoming a broadcaster. And it was a great move by Mr. Autry because Ron fairly for many, many years with the Angels, with the Giants, and the joy that we had, Ron, for about 14 or 15 years on radio and television with the Mariners working with the late, great Dave Niehaus was one of the best storytellers in the game of baseball. Think about his career. Think about Red uh, playing against or with some of the greatest players in the game of baseball from the early 60s to the late 1970s, and we are going to miss him. Right now, a very special feature on a gentleman that I love dearly and was outstanding as a player and as a broadcaster. Here's a special feature on our very own Ron Fairley. The Twins lead four to nothing. As you go to the Mariners' half of the seventh inning, it'll be Griffey, Buhner, and then Martinez. Well, all eyes are on this young man right now as he stands in. Griffey 0 for 2 tonight. And the first pitch from Banks is Walker. There it goes! See you later! Upper deck! Griffey has tied the major league record. Holy cow, the kid has done it. Home runs in eight consecutive games. Well, that was pretty exciting. <laughs> I mean, good golly. I mean, and there wasn't any doubt about the ball leaving the yard. I mean, when Junior hit it, I mean, it could have been 400 feet away and it would have cleared it easily. But, uh, yeah, that was, that was pretty I mean, hitting home runs in eight consecutive games. And uh, the thing I do remember that then Junior came up again. I made Dave Niehaus have the call because I think if Junior would have hit it in nine consecutive games, I think it should have been uh, Dave Niehaus's call for it. Junior, when Junior came up the following game to hit home runs and to set the record, I made Dave Niehaus uh, call his at bat. He wasn't going to do it, but I said, well, there's going to be a lot of dead air. <laughs> From the stretch, Garcia's 1-0 pitch is swung on and hit well to the center field. Griffey going back. He's at the track. He leaps, and Dave makes the catch. Holy cow, he got it. Oh, my. He got it. He took a home run away from Gonzalez. And side retired. One of the better catches by Griffey. You know, I, I think back with, with, with the Mariners uh, going to the Kingdome and having all the empty seats, not having a very good ball club, Lou Pinello showing up, changing the attitude of the players and watching the Tino Martinez, the Edgar Martinez, the juniors, the bone, uh, Randy, the big unit, and it, 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 I don't know. I, I don't have time to mention all of the names. And watching them learn how to win ball games. And then all of a sudden, everything came together in 95 when Edgar hit the double. Uh, watching the, the big unit, uh, like I said, Junior, Bone hitting the home run. I, I got a particular thrill out of watching Jay hit his 300th home run there at, at Safeco Field. That, that, that was a great night. Uh, Junior, when he hit home runs in eight consecutive games. There, there are so many, many really wonderful, wonderful uh, memories that I have at, uh, at the Kingdome and, of course, at, at, at Safeco Field. Uh, that those are the things that you don't forget. The one-two pitch, fastball swung on, and a high drive, hit to right field. O'Neill goes back, and see you later. Ken Griffey Jr. has just hit his 24th home run of the year, and the Mariners lead it 2-1. to one. The thing is that I've got to kick out of Lou is that there'd be times when we'd be doing the game, and one of the clubhouse guys would come up and tap me on the shoulder. And I'd turn my microphone off, and they said, Ron, Lou needs a ride home. <laughs> we live close together. We live close together over in the Bellevue area, 
and Anita, his wife, had enough. She took the car and went home, and Lou was on his own. <laughs> I had I had to bring I had to bring Lou home, and and he would he would tell me things about the game and what went on that there's no way I could put that on the air. But I I just I loved I loved those times, especially when the when the Mariner did not play well. Because he kept banging on my dashboard, and I thought he was going to break the dashboard a few times. <laughs> One, two pitch in the way, and Ichiro swings, slowly hit ground ball to first base. Pitcher slow to cover. Nobody there. Ichiro beats it out. And he has tied Edgar Martinez for the all-time hit leader for the Seattle Mariners at 2,247 hits. I'll tell you, 1959, we were in St. Louis, and Stan was struggling. He was not, he was not, not doing well. He was not Stan Musial. And uh, we went to Sportsman Park in St. Louis. When I, I went early because I heard that he was going to take extra batting practice. So I want to go out there and watch him. So he got in the cage and he hit a few balls. And he, you know, hit a flazy fly ball, hit a ground ball here. I mean, he wasn't, he was off a little bit. And he turned around and he looked at me and said, Ron, what am I doing wrong? And I, <laughs> I kind of started to laugh. Musial is going to ask me what he's doing wrong? You know, I said, Stan, the only thing I can think of is it's not 8 o'clock yet. It wasn't game time. And that night he had a pair of doubles and drove in three runs. But I got a kick out of that. And then that same series I talked to him, he says, Ron, people come out to the ballpark to watch me hit home runs. But he says, for the next two weeks, I'm going to concentrate on hitting the ball up the middle and the other way until I get my timing down once again. And so I followed him. For the next two weeks, Stan hit only one home run, uh, but he was batting 435. He told me when we took batting practice that day, I think I could hit 400, but people come out to the ballpark to watch me try to hit home runs. But in that two-week period, Stan hit 435 because I kept track of that. And I've never, I've never forgotten that. And he got his timing back because in the next week or two after that, he hit a half a dozen home runs. And he had his timing back and was going at it again. The one thing that Ted said, or not Ted, but Stan said, was you, to pull the ball constantly, your timing has to be too perfect. And you have to be able to hit the ball up the middle the other way occasionally just to keep your timing right. And the more I thought about that, it made a lot of sense. Today we see these guys that are up there hitting, and they're, they pull everything, pull everything. Well, their timing has to be too perfect. And the guys that are dead pull hitters, they, they're not going to hit for very much of a high average. The only guy that I can think of that was a pull hitter that hit for a high average was Ted Williams. I mean, Ted says you can take the whole ball club and put them over there. I'll still do <laughs> I've been blessed with incredibly talented partners. Dick Enberg, Hall of Famer Don Drysdale, one of my best friends. Wish he could be here today. Buddy Blattner, Don Wells. Guy who's like a brother to me for 14 years, Ron Fairley. Dave did not have a very good sense of direction. And in spring training, for an example, when we came out of Peoria there, the, the complex, if you go to the right when you leave our booth, you walk back into the, the, into the press box. When the game was over, you go to the left to get on the elevators and go down, get in the parking lot, take off, and go wherever you're going to go for dinner. I always waited for Dave to, to leave the, the, the booth first. Because about four or five times every spring, Dave would come out of the out of the booth and he would go to the right, back into the press box, and I just let him go. <laughs> and then I turn around, and say, hey Dave, this way. 
And then he always told me what I could go do to myself. <laughs> Swung on, hit well into right center field. Back goes Sierra, and that ball is off the wall and gets away from Blankenship. Around second, he's going for three, and the throw to third is offline. Buter with a triple. Not only that, he becomes the first Mariner in history to hit for the cycle. Would you believe it? Koufax was pitching, you know, Whenever he pitched, we had a pitcher in our, on our ball club by the name of, of Pete Rickard. And Pete was a left-handed pitcher and had pitched the major leagues for about, uh, oh, 10 or 11 years, mostly with Baltimore. But when he was with the Dodgers, he was the long man in the bullpen. And the only time Pete would go out and have a few drinks would be the, the night before Koufax pitched. <laughs> Sandy was going to, you know, get knocked out in the second or third inning. Well, Pete went out this one uh, one afternoon, and lo and behold, Sandy got in trouble in the first inning, and they got Pete up in the bullpen, and Sandy got out of the inning. Uh, in the second inning, uh, Sandy went back out to the mound, and he got in trouble again, and Alston got him up for the second time and went out to the mound. That day, I happened to be playing first base, and so when Alston got to the mound, there were three of us that are standing there. He had Alston, Koufax, and myself, and it was a hot day, temperature above 95 degrees. And Austin looked at Sandy and he says, how do you feel? And Sandy says, better than the guy you have warming up. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when Austin just turned around and walked back on, on into the dugout. We eventually got hot. We scored some runs and Sandy was the winning pitcher. Now has a 10-game hitting streak. The windup and the pitch from Milton on the way. Curb swung on, fly ball, shallow center field, coming in his camp, dives, and it's off his glove. Another base hit for Ichiro, his seventh consecutive game with a multi-hit game. And he's now tied at 294 on the all-time hit list with Ron Fairley. I have been at the playground uh, growing up as a young kid playing every day. I have been at the ballpark my entire life. I don't feel as though I have ever had a job because I'm going to the ballpark and I'm going to the playground every single day. And I have uh, finally came to the conclusion, it's been on my mind, came to the conclusion that maybe it's time to say goodbye. I have either played in or have broadcast 7,000 games. And that's long enough. It's time for me to take my bat and ball and go home. See you later! Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. 